0: Well, praise God. It's so good to see everybody. Smiling face this morning. Good to see you here. Looks like we got a pretty full house, which is pretty nice. It's good to see everybody here. And uh, today we're going to go ahead and, and continue on in our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. So I started looking at when we started this. You guys remember when we started this? It was like the last week of December we started the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're a little over halfway done, so we'll be done by the end of the year, I think. But uh, uh, granted, there was, uh, what, like eight or ten weeks in the in the middle there, we took a break, but uh, uh, how many of you guys have been enjoying going through the book of 1 Corinthians? You guys have been learning some stuff that maybe you didn't know before, and uh, working through some of this, because there's, to be honest with you, there's some tough scriptures in, in the book of 1 Corinthians. Even as I'm preparing it, I'm going... All right, how are we going to work through this? How am I going to explain this correctly? And, and today is no different. We're going to be dealing with the gifts of the Spirit this morning. And I have to tell you that the first time that I experienced somebody operating in the gifts of the Spirit, operating, uh, they, they were speaking in tongues. I was in, in high school. I was going to a church called Tree of Life Christian Fellowship. That's a, a church that uh, I went to when... I guess it was pretty much just my high school years. My uh, best friend's dad was the pastor. If you guys have heard me told the story, this is the church where I look and turn to him and said, you know what, I appreciate what your dad's doing, but no way I could ever be a pastor. So uh, don't ever tell God what you don't want to do because you might very well be doing it, just so you know. So anyway, I'm attending this church, and there was this one lady who used to always sing and in and, and tongues during, during the worship. And, and uh, man, I remember, anybody ever heard somebody speak or, or pray in tongues? Sounds weird, right? There's no it it sounds weird. There's no two ways about it. It sounds weird But just because it sounds weird doesn't mean it's not scriptural So I remember when I first heard this i'm like what the heck is going on this lady is crazy She's losing her mind. I did not know what's going on and then and then later on I learned that uh that uh I was taught that, no, the gifts of the Spirit are real, but they're, they're doled out very sparingly. You know, I, I heard once that, uh, you know, every person just gets one gift of the Spirit, I've heard, I've heard been taught before. And then I'm like, okay, well, okay, so now I thought they were weird, and I still think they're weird, and, and uh, now that I'm learning, well, maybe every person just gets one. And then later I, I was taught that, no, the gifts of the Spirit, they're, they're done away with. They're not, they're not for today anymore. They're not, they're not uh, around anymore. And by this point, I'm totally confused. I'm like, some people say, you know, that you can operate freely in them. Some people say that you only get one. Some people say that they're, that they're not around. And, and I was totally confused, especially with tongues being so weird. I didn't know what was going on. And it wasn't until that I finally spent time in God's Word and began to understand what the Bible actually says about tongues and, and the gifts of the Spirit. And most people that are freaked out by, by the gifts of the Spirit, to be honest with you, most people don't have a problem with the gifts of the Spirit. They have a problem with speaking in tongues. That's the problem that everyone has. Because how many of you would get really upset if somebody began to pray for you and and operate in the gift of healing and you got healed? How many of you would be like, nope, that's not for today. That's weird. I'm just not having it. I'm not being healed. Or if somebody had an encouraging word of, of wisdom for you, and nobody would turn that away. The problem that people have with the gifts of the Spirit is, is speaking in tongues. And we're going to actually deal with that quite a bit as we go through the next few chapters here. And, and the Bible actually spends a good deal of time talking about the gifts of the Spirit. So as we go through the next, actually, three chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is going to begin to instruct the congregation on the correct and proper use of the gifts of the Spirit, and we're going to actually see how God intended them to be used, and we're going to find out that actually, no, the the gifts of the Spirit are there to build up the church and to encourage and strengthen the church. Amen? So let's go ahead and bow our head as we come to the Word. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your great love. And uh, we just thank you that you would uh, just prepare our hearts this morning that we would be able to understand what you have for us, that you would open our eyes, that we could see clearly, open our ears so we would understand clearly what your word has to say, uh, particularly about the gifts of the Spirit and how they are to operate in the church today, Father. And I pray that when we leave here, we will have an understanding and revelation of your gifts and how to operate them in the church for the edifying and building up of the body. And we thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen. 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 So the first verse in, in chapter 12 says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Do you guys know the gifts of the spirit are actually a pretty amazing thing? And, and if you think about it, it's actually incredible that God would send his spirit down with us to operate and work inside of us and through us to be able to accomplish things that we never imagined could be accomplished, that we couldn't accomplish them without the Holy Spirit in us. I mean, there are things that we will do in the operating and the gift of the Holy Spirit that would never be able to be accomplished if the Holy Spirit was not working through us. And on top of that, what's even more amazing about the gifts of the Holy Spirit is they're offered to everyone. They're not offered to a subset. It's not just pastors or evangelists or or prophets or apostles that that, that get these gifts. They're made available to everyone. And not only that, not only are we talking about not just certain offices, but male, female, the young and the old, everybody has the opportunity and, and rather the, the, uh, just a great privilege of having the holy spirit work through them and this is what it says in Joel 2:28 it says and it shall come to pass afterward that i will pour out my spirit on all flesh Just so you know the word all, when you hear the word all, it usually means all. So he says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. I always like to joke the reason why the old men dream dreams is because they're always asleep. (laughs) And then in Mark 16, 17 through 18, it says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak. Uh Uh-oh, my notes just ran away. It says they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. Just so you know, he's not encouraging you to do any of those things, but if something accidentally happens, you get bit by a snake or you drink poison, you're going to be okay if you'll trust in the Lord. And I've actually seen this. I, I had my, my pastor uh, one time accidentally drunk, drunk, that's not a word, he accidentally drank um, hydrochloric acid. He was at a pool party, you know. They were hanging out by the pool, and they had the cleaning chemicals out. And it was in a a, for some reason, someone thought it was a good idea to put him in a glass cup. And he thought it was water, and he tipped it back and he drank hydrochloric acid. And it and as you can imagine, it really messed up his throat. But they began to 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 pray on him. They laid hands on him. They were they were people were praying in tongues over him and by this kind of injury, you would think that he would never be able to speak again. Well, you guys have heard, many of you have heard Pastor Mike speak. He speaks just fine. The scriptures are true. If we would just have the courage to believe in what God has to say, amen. But it says that these signs will accompany who? All those who believe. If you believe, these things are to to be a part of your life. So if you think about it, with this just amazing gift that God is giving, and, and really, if you think about it, it's amazing power that God is, is using through us. It's not um, surprising that with this being freely given, there's going to be all kinds of disorders and misuse and all that kind of stuff will occur. It happened in the Corinthian church. That's what Paul's going to deal with. It happens today. People misuse what God intended for something good to, to they just get all wacko and crazy with certain things. But... If you think about it, it's not just the Corinthian church too. Because if you remember, you guys remember Simon the magician in Acts chapter eight. He told he told Peter, you know, how can I? He saw that Peter was laying hands on people that were being filled with the Holy Spirit. and He said, Hey, how much can I pay you so that I can have this power? And it, from day one, it was already beginning to be misused. It was it was looked on as a sign of power, or it was looked on upon as like a sign of like I'm super spiritual if I can do these things, or God likes me more than you because I operate in these things. And the truth is, is that's that's not what is the truth at all. The truth is, is that they're, all, they're available to every single one of us. Like we just talked about young, old. We just talked about uh, uh, male, female. It doesn't matter. It's not stuck to the different offices. We can all operate in these gifts. But the Corinthian church, what's happening and why Paul's dealing with this is some of them were apparently exercising their spiritual gifts as a way to influence others as a way to show that they were more important than somebody else as a way to show that they were super spiritual or they had some sort of authority over somebody else. And all it was doing was causing dissension in the church. And we have to remember that the gifts of the spirit were never intended to divide the church. They were intended to build up the church, to encourage the church They're there to help the church grow and to help it operate more effectively. And they're freely given to the children of God by him to enable them to minister to the needs of the body and to enable them to do extraordinary things for the kingdom of heaven. And we wonder is that still for today? Are the gifts of the Spirit still for today? And, and we'll look at some of that stuff as we go through the next few weeks, but I believe that they are still for today. This is what Jesus said. Jesus told them they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Do you think that the church today doesn't need power any more than the church in the book of Acts did? Have you guys looked at the world around us and think about, do we actually need power to interact in this world? And the truth is, is the Corinthian church, they needed power from God. And we still need his power today. But Paul wanted to make it very clear that there is a correct way. He didn't want it to be misused. He says right here, he says, listen, I do not want you to be uninformed. Let me teach you again how this works. Because there was apparently a lot of misunderstanding regarding the spiritual gifts. And it's not so different today because there's still a lot of misunderstanding regarding the use of the spiritual gifts in the church today. Many people misuse them, many people take advantage of people with them. And there's just a lot of, of misuse and actually it's sometimes a lot of fear surrounding the spiritual gifts because people don't understand them. And like I already said, particularly speaking in tongues, yeah, it sounds weird. I fully believe and speak in tongues. It still sounds weird. That's okay to think that. But just because it's weird doesn't mean it's not scriptural, amen. I mean, if you think about it, if somebody was raised from the dead. That would be pretty weird. But I would welcome it with open arms. Amen. So you're going to see that as we go through this, that Paul actually never instructed them to quit using the gifts. But rather, as the theme that we've seen in this book so far, is that when you're going to exercise your freedoms in Christ, and one of them is operating in the gifts of the Spirit, you need to exercise your freedoms responsibly, and you need to exercise them through the lens of love. Amen? And make sure it's to edify the church. And it's not going to divide it. So let's go ahead and continue on in verse two. It says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. So now Paul is going to begin to con the leading of the Holy Spirit and the leading of what were essential essentially evil spirits, there were demons that were leading them and, 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 and idol worship. Before they were saved, they had been led astray and deceived into worshiping. I'm going to have one of those days today's, Worshiping spiritual idols. So the question is if they're being led away, who's doing the leading? And we, we read a few weeks ago that it was actually demons and demonic influences that were leading them into being these speechless people. Powerless, worthless idols—just wood and stone and metal—and and First uh, and Corinthians ten twenty, Paul says, "No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God, and I do not want you to be participants." with demons. So Paul is now beginning to contrast being led by the spirit and being led by demons. And one commentator, as I was studying this, he said this, he said, evidently, in the cult religions, evil spirits spoke through their followers in what was called ecstatic or inspired speech, essentially tongues. And evil forces were at work in the world. And the Corinthians would need to understand that what they had experienced as tongues or inspired speech in their pagan religion was completely different from speaking in tongues that the believers might experience through the Holy Spirit. Paul wanted the Corinthian church that there was a difference. And that's what he's saying, that, you know, when you were pagans, you were led astray by crazy stuff, but now you're being led by the Holy Spirit. And the thing is, is when you're being led by the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be led in disorder. You're not going to be led in chaos because the Holy Spirit wants to build the church. Amen? And verse three, he goes on to say, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So how do we know that when somebody is is speaking in tongues, or they're operating in one of the gifts, how do we know that it's actually from God? How do we know it's not from something else? How do we know they're not being led by a demon? How do we make that distinction? And Paul says, just listen to what's being said. What else do these people say? He says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Do you know it's actually the Holy Spirit that prepares your heart to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If the Holy Spirit doesn't begin to prepare your heart and open your eyes, then you're going to see the cross's foolishness instead of what it is, which is the power to save. John six forty-four says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on that last day. This is how the Father draws people in, is through the influence of the Holy Spirit, as it begins to work on their heart and soften it so that when they hear the call they receive it instead of reject it with a hardness of heart. John sixteen eight through eleven says this about the Holy Spirit. He says, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. And righteousness and judgment. He says, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. The Holy Spirit's job is not to point your fingers on your sins and tell you how much you've messed up. The Holy Spirit's job is there to tell you that you need a Savior. That's what the Holy Spirit in the world's job is. He's not going around to people that aren't saved and telling them how bad they are. He's letting them know that they do need a Savior. That's what he says here, concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. And then it says concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. The Holy Spirit testifies to your heart that you are righteous because jesus christ rose from the dead and you have a new life inside of you and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is already judged the scripture already says that that the believer is not to be judged but those who don't believe have already been judged But the Holy Spirit is already preparing our heart and and changing things inside of us so that we can see that God is good, that we can see that we need a Savior, and we can see that Jesus Christ rose from the dead so that we could be made righteous. And without that revelation, we can't even believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and the cross just appears as foolishness to us. So when it says here that I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. We can't say Jesus is our Lord unless the Holy Spirit is already working inside of us. And the people that say Jesus is accursed, that's coming from inside of them as well. Luke 6.45 says the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when somebody says Jesus is accursed, where is that coming from? So that's how we can begin to distinguish if it is from God or if it's not. Look at the other things that they're saying. And you might say, well, anybody can say Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. And it's true that when somebody says that, they might might be saying it in jest. They might be lying. But the truth is, is that's going to bear itself out. There's going to be evidence for a changed heart in somebody's life. And you'll be able to tell the difference. (laughs) And no one who is a believer would ever curse Jesus. That's where you can begin to make those distinguishes, distinguish a person's life. And verse four, he says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. What has Paul been teaching this entire letter from the first chapter? Unity. The whole purpose of the book of the, of the letter to the Corinthians is to get them to, to be united in Christ, to, to get to deal with the division. And he was preaching unity. And there must have been some, some dissension and, and, and infighting as they were practicing their gifts. Because when they were all getting together, they're all just speaking in tongues at the same time, and they're, they're, they're addressing the church in tongues at the same time, and it's getting kind of crazy, in there, and they're all just kind of puffing their chests up saying, look at me, look at me, look how spiritual I am, look what I can do. And they're trying to, to somehow make themselves look better than the people around them, and instead of demonstrating unity in their gifts as they were operating in their gifts, they were just making a mess. They weren't encouraging or lifting up the body. They were just causing chaos. And Paul says, listen, that's not what the gifts are for. Let, let me tell you a few things. says, so there's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord, there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. If there is the same Lord the same spirit and the same God. Actually, Paul right now is beginning to teach even the unity in the Holy Spirit of what's going on. They, they weren't using these things as God has intended them because they were somehow trying to divide. But they needed to realize that the source of the gift is the Holy Spirit, who is God. And the sphere for administrating the gifts is from the Lord. Who is God? And the energy to use them is from God as well. The idea of the spiritual gifts was to promote unity and building up and encouragement in the church and not dissension. So he said, if, if God is united in sending these gifts and God in Himself is united as well, why would we use them to puff ourselves up instead of coming together in unity? Why would we compete with one another? Is what Paul is asking and telling them here. And then he says, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And this is the verse where, where uh, people begin to make the distinction that only every, only, uh, each Christian only gets one gift. Um, certain translations translate that as to each is, is given a gift or, or a single gift. But the question we have to ask ourselves, and that's not what Paul is dealing with here. He's not trying to tell them, oh, no, you guys only get one gift. What he's trying to distinguish here is why the gifts are given in the first place. So why are the gifts of the spirit given to Christians? They're not given to make an individual believer feel more special. They're not given to indicate someone's spirituality. They're not given to indicate that somebody is more valuable to God. They're not given to indicate that somebody is liked more by God. They are given for the common good of the body. So that means when the gifts are given to you to operate in, it's actually not for you at all. It's to lift up the others in the body. And Paul's having to remind the Corinthian church of this because they're using their their gifts selfishly. They're using them to puff themselves up instead of to lift up the church, promote themselves instead of the body. But the truth is, is that if we will operate in these gifts in humility and realizing that they're for the body, we'll be a great benefit for the body. And you're going to see amazing things happen that, that can't happen in our own will, because they're supernaturally, as the Spirit of God works through us." Then he goes on into verse eight. He says, "For one for to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit." First off, if we're going to begin to go through a list of some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and as we go through this, Paul is going to once again reiterate that they are given through the Holy Spirit, the same spirit. He wants to make it clear that these are all coming from one source. It's a united front that's sending the gifts, right? He doesn't have a different agenda. The Holy Spirit doesn't have a different agenda with one gift than he has with another gift. Does that make sense? They're coming from, from one united Holy Spirit, a united God to do, to, to work in the body. They're also not parlor tricks. They're also not there so, so, so you can make yourself look better. And when we're operating these gifts, we're just doing it through faith, desiring and asking the Holy Spirit to work through us. So like I said, we're going to go through nine different gifts of the Spirit. And the truth is, is this list is not all inclusive. There are more gifts of the Spirit than are the nine that's in this list. Even later in this chapter, we'll look at next week, he mentions two more gifts, which is the gifts of helps and the gifts of administration. And then in Romans 12, 6 through 8, he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in a proportion to our faith. If service, this is another one not listed here, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts, this is also not mentioned here, in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, not mentioned here, the one who leads with zeal, not mentioned here, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, also not mentioned here. There's many gifts of the Spirit, but Paul seems to, especially depending on who he's talking to, he, he focuses on certain ones, which seems to indicate that he's dealing with the ones that they need to be instructed on, that particular uh, group of people. So the first one Paul mentions is the gift of wisdom. This gift, the gift of, uh, of wit- wisdom, or the, the utterance of wisdom, is where we, we operate in supernatural wisdom. This is a gift where it could be maybe you have an understanding of the scriptures that just comes from God, a supernatural understanding of the words that you're reading, or it can also be in uh, giving wise counsel to somebody. I believe that a lot of pastors and teachers and, and leaders operate in this gift because we have to give counsel to people about stuff that we have no idea about. You know, that's, that's one of the things that I, I know in, in my own life that that God has worked for me. And I was just talking in the men's meeting yesterday, we were having, we were getting together and, and I were talking about, you know, especially now I have to, to meet with people and counsel them and teach them. And, and on the inside, if you guys could see me on the inside sometimes, you'd be like, what are we following this guy for? But so on the outside, I'm like calm and collected. I'm like, Lord, help me. On the inside, I'm freaking out because I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no experience, but God will give me wisdom and he operates through me And I'm able to make an impact, not of my own skill or ability, but because God works through me. And Paul even spoke of this earlier in uh, this book, in chapter 2, verse 6. He says, yet among the matured do we impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. The next gift that he goes on to talk about is the gift of the utterance of knowledge. And this is another gift of having that, that super, uh, supernatural knowledge of a situation. Jesus operated in this gift. Did you know that Jesus was a man just like us when he did miracles, when he walked this earth, he, the scripture says that he set aside his deity to walk this. So when he did miracles, he was doing it through the same power of the Holy spirit that we do today. And he operated in this gift when he saw Nathanael under the tree In John one forty-eight, it says, Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him before Philip called you. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Other examples of this that I've seen is when, when somebody will be up uh, praying for, for a group of people and, and they'll, have, they'll have a supernatural uh, a knowledge of, of a sickness or something going on in somebody's life and they'll call them up and begin to pray for them. And I've had this, even in my own life, I'll be at a a group where we're praying for something and and God will lay somebody on my heart or how they're feeling or something they're going through. And I'm able to go over there and pray for them. Some of you might've experienced that when I've come over and began to pray for something in your life that, that I don't really have any, any knowledge of it, except for the Holy Spirit reveals something to me and I'm able to encourage you and lift you up and build you up. Now, one thing that I want to make clear, this is not about God revealing people's failures and sins to somebody else. God, that's not what this gift is about because that wouldn't build a church up. That would just divide a church if we were pointing out failures. The gift of, of knowledge is in order to build the church up. Amen. And then as he goes on, and verse 9, he says, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. Once again, we're dealing with what? The same spirit. It's unity in these gifts. And when he talks about the gift of faith, what he's talking about here is supernatural faith. Romans 12, 3 says that each of us have been given a measure of faith. All of us have been given a measure of faith. And then Jesus says that we're to grow that faith. Jesus said that if we had faith like... Uh, mustard seed, then we could move mountains, right? What's interesting about that is he doesn't say if you have faith the size of a mustard seed. Nobody wants you to have faith of a, the size of a mustard seed. You want your faith to grow and get bigger. But he says like a mustard seed. Well, what do mustard seeds do? Well, he explains it in the parable, fortunately for us. A mustard seed is a little tiny seed. Have you ever seen one? They're baby little itty bitty, but they grow up to be one of the tallest like non-tree plants. They grow up to be huge plants that can support the full weight of birds and all this stuff and they're little itty bitty tiny things. That's what our faith should be like. Our faith should start small like a mustard seed and grow into a massive plant that's capable of supporting much more than it was when it started out. So Paul a, uh, uh, Paul said in Romans that we've been each given a measure of faith. Jesus says that your faith, you're supposed to grow and, but the faith that it's talking about here is a supernatural faith. This is probably the kind of faith that that Peter had to step out of the boat. The Holy Spirit working through him to give him the strength to step out onto the water. Because you think about that kind of stuff, that takes a lot of faith. I mean, there's no amount of psyching yourself up to to step on 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 the ocean, the water, to, to think that you're gonna be okay. It's probably the kind of faith that that helps somebody to continue on. In the, in the face of losing their life. We attended a youth conference a few years back, and uh, they had a missionary come out who was, who was coming from, I can't remember where he came from, but it was one of the, the persecuted countries where you would be killed for being a Christian. And he asked them, he said, what is it that you need from us? You know, you Christians that are over here that are living this life, you're persecuted daily. Now, not, not just like, like here where you might get made fun of. I mean, this, this is their life that they're talking about. He says, what do you need from us? And they said, they didn't say money. They didn't say we need you to send food. We didn't need, they, what they wanted was you to pray for them that they would have faith. Because there were times they needed the faith to be strong in the midst of potentially losing their life. And many of them did lose their life that's the kind of faith that they need. They want us to pray for them to have that kind of faith. And I think this is what this talking about. That supernatural faith that carries you through far above your own personal faith. And then there's also the gift of healing that he refers to. First off, this is not to be confused with the healing that is guaranteed to all of us through Christ's uh, death, burial, and resurrection. 1 Peter 2.24 says, by his stripes, we are healed. I'm not going to go into it much right now. Um, For those of you who want to argue that point, but we can, um, but just suffice it to say that even though in the book of Isaiah, it was talking about a nation and book of Matthew, the disciples referred to it as physical healing. So we'll go on their word. So we know that 1 Peter 2.24 says, by his stripes, we're healed as believers, we are guaranteed healing through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we take hold of that by faith. This is supernatural healing that is passed through the one who is operating in the gift. If you get healed, you do not have the gift of healing. The person with the gift of healing is the one who's laying the hands on somebody and the healing is flowing through them and healing somebody else. This is the type of healing that even unbelievers can experience. You don't have to be a believer to, to be on the receiving end of somebody operating in the gift of healing. I remember a story once, and I, I, I wish I would have Sometimes I hear stories, and I've got to start writing them down so I remember who I'm talking about. But there was this... Uh, uh, a huge evangelist, they're having big tent meetings, and uh, he, was, he was up there in, in the crowd, and he actually operates in two different gifts. One, he's up there, he's speaking to him, and he looks out and he sees the janitor, not even there for the comp, he's there to clean up, and he sees him out there and he points to him and says, you... And this is where he received, operated in the gift of knowledge because God had imparted on him that this person had something going on and the, the guy couldn't hear. And he wasn't a Christian. He wasn't there for the conference. And he says, you stop. And he looks at him and he says, hear in the name of Jesus. And he began to hear for the first time. That is the gift of healing when it's flowing through somebody to, 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 to have somebody healed. Now, when I pray for people for healing, obviously I desire to operate in that gift, but I'm going to teach you what the scripture says about healing, and that is that by his stripes we are healed. That's what the Bible says. That's what the most instances of healing are talked about. It's by your faith and the work of Jesus Christ that makes us healed. But there is a real gift, a gift of healing, and I've seen people operate in it. In 1 Corinthians 12.10, he says to another the working of miracles to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. So like healing, uh the, the working of miracles is another visible gift of the spirit. This is like when Jesus turned water into wine, that was a pretty cool miracle, right? When he took that uh the purification water and made it wine? I just heard a joke the other day, and it says Jesus walks into a, to a restaurant and, uh, uh, with, his, with his 12 disciples, and, and when the waiter asks, what do you want to drink? And Jesus says, we'll just have 13 glasses of water, and he winks at his disciples. <laughs> 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 but that's, that was a, 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 a working in the, the gift of miracles. I also have a friend of mine that I work with who uh, has been involved in church planning, and I forget which state he said it was in, but uh, they, were, they were starting a ministry, and they had this old, ruckety um, electric piano. And uh, one day it just stopped working. That's what they led worship with, and they weren't going to be able to do worship that day. So the pastor walks up to it, lays hands on the piano, speaks to it in Jesus' name, and the piano started working again. And it actually continued to work until they could afford to buy a replacement piano. That's working in the gift of miracles. And just the other day, when we were at the youth conference, and it was me and Hector and Blake in the same room, and I tell you what, apparently we all can snore like it's nobody's business. And I ain't never ever heard anybody snore like Hector before. (laughs) So, he's, this is the second night. The first night, Blake can't sleep because I'm snoring. I, I can't sleep because Hector's snoring. The following night, Blake's doing this weird thing too. So, we're all making noise. And, and uh, anyway, that second night, I begin to pray. I'm like, Jesus, I just want him to be done, you know, take away the snoring right now. And I'm praying, and he stops snoring. And I'm like, this is awesome. God's working. But after about an hour, I'm laying there. I wake up. He's still not snoring. I'm like, I think I killed him. <laughs> Jesus, you understood me, right? I I just want to... So like at this point, I'm thinking I got to get up and check on him because this is odd. And I'm just imagining, right? I walk over there and I'm like over his bed trying to like see if he's breathing and he wakes up and sees me hunched. That would have been awkward. But then he starts snoring a little bit again, not the full snore. I'm like, oh, thank God. And then I prayed for him to stop snoring again and he stopped snoring for the rest of the night. That was a miracle, amen? Stop I did. I, I, I really was thinking about getting up to check if he was still alive, though, because that would have been the worst. Then he goes on. He talks about the gift of prophecy. And uh, I want you guys to know that Old Testament prophecy is different than New Testament prophecy. They are not the same thing. In the Old Testament, a prophecy, a prophet was the mouthpiece of God. God spoke through the prophets. God didn't speak to anybody else. He spoke to the prophets. They were usually a, a warning or some sort of correction or some sort of rebuke. And the prophets were authoritative. You didn't argue with the prophet. They were right. They were coming right from God. And the only thing that would discredit a prophet is if he was wrong. And if he, what he said didn't come to pass, they killed him. They stoned him. So it was, it was, you, if you were a prophet, you wanted to be right. And uh, the gift of prophecy in the New Testament is a little bit different. One, it is still a message from God as to the community of believers. It is to build up the church, not to correct or rebuke it, to tear it down. Um, it's not necessarily an a instance of the future. Because actually New Testament is encouragement. And uh, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, we'll read it a little bit later in the next few weeks. says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding, their encouragement, and consolation. But the thing is about the difference between Old Testament prophecy and New Testament prophecy is, is God speaks to all believers. Now, the veil's been torn. God will communicate with all of us, not just those who are speaking in a prophetic voice. And also the, the, the final thing is, is that, that uh, New Testament prophets are to be tested. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21, he says, do not quench the spirit. This is another one of people think that the, we shouldn't be operating in the gifts of spirit. Today, Paul, uh, Paul says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. So we're supposed to test New Testament prophecies. The good news is if somebody is speaking prophetically and it doesn't come to pass, we don't stone them anymore. So that's good. Um, But there is a difference between New Testament and Old Testament prophecy. Then he goes on to talk about uh, various kinds of tongues. First, notice there are various kinds of tongues, not just one kind of tongues. And we see those, and I'm starting to talk faster because I'm running out of time and I got so much stuff to go through. But in the book of Acts at Pentecost, we see them speaking in tongues. And in this particular case, it says that, that when they were speaking, it doesn't say they were speaking in foreign languages and they don't know. It says they were speaking in tongues and the people heard them in their own language. So one, we see that when people are speaking in tongues, they're, they're able, the, the people that can hear them are able to, to understand what they're saying in their own native tongues. There are also public tongues. That's actually what Paul is really dealing with in this letter is as people were addressing the church while they were speaking in tongues. And these ones are given to edify the church. They're they're given to build up the church. And Paul begins to really deal with them and say, you know what, if you're going to have somebody address the church in tongues, it should be two or three at most. And it requires an interpreter. And then finally, there are, this is in contrast to private or devotional tongues, and these are praying or singing in the spirit. You're not addressing the church, you're addressing God. Um, these are understood by God only, nobody's going to interpret them for you, and they are to edify the one who is speaking to build you up, uh, to, to edify your spirit, not your mind because you can't understand them either. And we're going to deal with that more as we go through this. And, but as a church, we refer to tongues as kind of like the starter gift of the spirit. And the reason we think of it this way is that almost every instance in the new Testament, when it says they were filled with the spirit, it says, and they began speaking in other tongues, almost every single time it says that they were filled with the spirit, they begin speaking in other tongues. And the ones, the instances where it says they were filled with the spirit and they're not speaking in tongues, it says they saw they were being filled with the spirit So there's an indication that there was some sort of evidence. And I believe that what they saw was them speaking in tongues. And this, the reality is, is this is the gift that everybody has a problem with. Like I said, nobody has a problem with an encouraging word. Nobody has a problem with someone giving them supernatural wisdom. Nobody has a problem with being healed. And really, it would be weird, but everybody would be happy if their spouse died and a Christian came and laid hands on them and they rose from the dead. Nobody would argue with that. But tongues, because it sounds weird, it feels weird, people have an issue with that. So I would encourage you today as we go through this and spend some time in your own study, right? You should be testing what I'm saying as well and what the scripture says about this. And I believe that if you'll read his words, you'll see that they're today, that there is actually nothing weird about it, even though it feels that way. It is scriptural and it's something that God has given to us as a gift. Amen. And the final one is the interpretation of tongues, and like I said, this is to interpret the public gift of speaking in tongues, and and Paul was dealing with this big mess that was happening, and Paul told them that if you're going to be speaking in tongues, two or three at most to address the church, and you have to have an interpreter, interpreter, because if there is no interpreter, it just sounds like they're talking crazy, none of us can understand it, there's no interpreter, it can't edify the body, amen? And then we'll go ahead and end here. He says, all these are empowered by one in the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Paul, once again, reiterates these gifts come from the Holy spirit. They come from a united front. They're used to build and edify the body. They don't come from your own internal power, your own internal, uh, uh, you know, p- piety, pietas, How What's that word? Huh? Impetus, they don't come from that. And uh, uh, it, it's nothing about you. It's about God imparting something in you. Amen. And then he, say, he goes on to, to also make it clear to them that the Holy Spirit apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is something that God is doing for us. This is not to say that we shouldn't be asking for or desiring the gifts because Paul, Paul says later, that you should desire the greater gifts. So we should be desiring to operate in the gifts. But the truth is, is that it's not something that we can take a hold of or guarantee. Just because you go to church every Sunday, you tithe every Sunday, and you help every little old lady across the street doesn't guarantee. It's God working through you to empower and build up the church. And I would encourage you to operate operate in them as often as you can. If you don't speak in tongues, if you haven't received the gift of the Holy Spirit, um, come to me after service. Um, actually, after, we, uh, after the service, I'm going to ask Joseph to, to come up front. He'll pray with you as well. And uh, uh, if you want to receive that gift, the scripture says that if we ask, that God will give it to us. And if you want that, if you would like to do that, then I would encourage you to do so. And uh, like I said, I understand, I get it. It it, it seems weird, but it is scriptural. And we don't get to pick and choose the parts of the Bible that we want to agree with or listen to. Amen. And here's the deal. If you want to do great things for God and operate in great power for God, you're going to have to be faithful with the little stuff. You know, we refer to the gift of tongues as the, the starter gift. It's the beginning of gift. But the scripture says, if you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. So church, I would encourage us all, let's be faithful in little so we can be faithful in much, so we have the opportunity, because what we are here for is to impact the city for the kingdom of heaven. We're here to steal this community, the city of Marana, away from the devil because he has no rights, but the truth is, is we are going to need the power of God to do so. Amen? So let's be a people who lets him operate through us. Hallelujah. Let's go ahead and bow our head as we close today.